Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, uh, good morning, and it's good to have you with us here today. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our series, uh, The Last Call, and we're going to get into some really uh, interesting, uh, an interesting aspect of the seven-year tribulation, uh, one that uh, uh, always fascinates me. This message title in this series, and we will have about one to three more after this one before we finish the series. This one's called The Moment Everything Changes. Because there will be a moment when everything in that seven-year great tribulation changes and turns on a dime, from good to really bad. Um, You won't be there as a follower of Christ. That's the good news. Because you've placed your faith in Jesus, and you have been raptured, so don't worry about anything I'm talking about today. If you're not a follower of Christ, worry about what I'm talking about today. (laughs) Because if we see the rapture in our time in our, in our lifetime, then uh, this is going to be bad. So we encourage you to put your faith in Christ. The moment everything changes, every one of us has, um, we've had moments in our life, and if you haven't had it yet, you will, uh, and it, it's, it varies from person to person. When everything changes. For me, August 12th, 1979, uh, they tricked me into going to church. There was a man there preaching a hard message. I thought he was talking right at me. I had no intention of giving my life to Christ. I had no intention of following Jesus. I liked my, my party world and everything that went with it. I was 23 years old. But that night, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I've never looked back after four, next month is 41 years. But I can tell you honestly that in a moment of time, everything changed. I went from walking this way doing a 180 and walking that way. I went from immoral to moral. Not perfect, but everything about me changed and wanting to do the right thing. And I can only say that only God, the reality of God uh, coming into my life, it, that's the only thing that could have changed me in a moment of time. What else could have done that? That was the moment everything changed. And then about um, three weeks later, I was sitting in a church service because now I became a church person. And uh, I saw this girl sitting about, I think she was two rows in front of me. And I'll be honest, uh, I didn't listen too much to the message that night. I was just kind of noticing that girl. Because I remember I'd seen her before around town because her corner was much smaller back then. And and then later on, as time went by, uh, she started going to this Bible study that I was attending and her name is Olivia, and we started talking, and instantly, the first time we talked, she wanted to ask me out on a date. No, that's not true at all. She didn't. No, she was hard to get, and I chased after her and uh, started dating, and et cetera, et cetera, and uh, eventually, we got married, but that night, the moment I first saw her there, that's the moment everything began to change again because of everything that followed from there, and Uh, We will be married 39 years in September, but that was another big transition in my life, the moment everything changes. See, we all have those moments. There's going to come a time in the seven-year tribulation, there's a moment 
when everything changes, and not for the good. It goes from good to, well, goes to pretty, pretty bad. The Antichrist, he's going to look like the greatest suitor in the world, and then once you say, I do, it's going to turn bad really quick for people in that world. He will come up as a nice guy, but at the midpoint, he'll be like Alice Cooper saying, no more Mr. Nice Guy, Uh uh-uh. So we're going to talk about that today. In that midpoint of the tribulation, the events, everything that lead up to it, the moment everything changes. Um, But first, I'm going to read the key verse for the series and the tagline and uh, watch me from home. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Here we go. For I do not want you to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so all Israel will be saved. Now don't forget the statement, all Israel will be saved. Because in this message, at the very end, I will define what that exactly means. But this is talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. When the last person gives their life to Jesus Christ in the church age, the age we live in right now. When that happens, the rapture takes place, the church people are gone, and now the last seven years, what we call the tribulation period, where God turns his attention back towards the Jewish nation, begin. And our tagline is, it's the call you don't want to miss. Say that at home out loud, even with your family or friends. It's the call you don't want to miss. And so we don't want anyone to miss Jesus Christ and uh, not be uh, entering into an eternity with him. Now, I want to build the case first before I get into this whole idea, the moment everything changes. So I want to throw a visual up on the screen. This is called the uh, Mosque of Omar, or what's called the Golden Dome. You see myself there. It's me, my two sons. This is our last Israel trip this last year. Many of you went on that trip. Now, this golden dome, this mosque of Omar, it sits on the Temple Mount currently right now. The Temple Mount is about 37 acres. Roughly, you could say it's like five times the size of our Norco campus uh, land here. That's how big it is. So it's a pretty good size. Now, the the temple that was, uh, there have been three temples on that Temple Mount the one at Jesus' time was the third temple, This uh, and that was torn down, as we'll see in a second. But this mosque of, uh, mosque of Omar, the Golden Dome, it was built around 690 A.D. Now, I want to shift. I want to show you another visual. Now, this visual now, this is an image of um, a, a scale model of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. You will see this in Jerusalem if you ever go. Notice how big the Temple Mount is in comparison to the rest of the city. Notice how big the temple itself sitting on the Temple Mount is in compared to the rest of the city. This is what it looked like. That temple at the time of Christ is the third temple. First was Solomon's. That was destroyed. Then there was another temple, a smaller one, and they kind of despised that because it was small. Then Herod, Herod the Great, he comes along and the one who tried to kill Jesus after when he was a toddler, he comes along and he builds a bigger temple. And this is that temple size right there. Now, <clears throat> so let's build the whole thing up because that temple is going to be destroyed 
around 70 AD. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew 24 as I try to lay a foundation for the moment that everything changes. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here, some other temple, will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now that's a very, very big statement. But he's making it prophetically to the disciples around 33 AD. That temple is not even finished at the Temple Mount, and it will be destroyed some 30-some years later in 70 AD. The Romans siege the city, and over one million Jews die in that siege in that time. Why not one stone is left upon another, as we have mentioned in earlier messages, is because the, the priests barricade themselves in the temple. A torch is thrown inside. It lights everything, burns everything. The fire is so hot, and there's gold in that temple. It melts. It gets in the cracks of the massive stones. Well, after the fire is over, the Romans are not leaving any gold. And so to get the the gold out of the cracks, they dismantle the temple one stone at a time to get all the gold, fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus. So, um, uh, So complete was the temple destruction that they can't even see where that temple was today. They they don't know where it was. Where was the original spot on that 37-acre temple mount? Some of the stones that were pulled apart are still seen in the Valley Kidron. They were tossed over the side. But there is no temple there now. That's the important factor that we need to factor in. The dilemma is this, that um, I showed you the image of the Golden Dome, the Mosque of Omar, that sits there now. That's for the Muslims, the third holiest site in the world after Mecca and Medina. The Jews want their temple rebuilt. Oh, yes, they do. And that's where it gets dicey. You have a Muslim dome there. You have the Jews who want to build their temple that's been destroyed. The Temple Mount, as some of you know have been there, is controlled by the Muslims. And so that creates a tension. How are we going to rebuild our temple, the Jews are thinking, because there's a a mosque there, all the things are there. What's going to happen? So we're going to talk about that today, because that's the moment everything changes. I'm going to be honest with you today. If you're not used to a lot of scripture, you're going to get a scriptural overdose today. And so you got to keep up with me. I have to move fast. The verses I'm going to take you through at times, I could spend an entire message on that. But for the sake of what we're talking about, I will have to move quickly. I'm going to give you three things. It's in your discussion notes and questions online. The first thing is this. Number one, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt. It will be. And how do I know? Revelation 11 and verse 1 says this. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. This is John speaking, prophetically looking into the future. And someone said, get up and measure the temple. 
of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Now that's a big statement right there telling us that the Jewish temple will absolutely be rebuilt on that temple mount. They are making preparations right now to rebuild it. They are getting, they have gotten the utensils ready. The priest's garments. Some of you read that years ago they now have the red heifer for the red heifer sacrifice. They are in preparation. They are going to build their temple. They want to bring their sacrifices back to what they once were. The problem is the Muslim mosque sits right there. It's on that temple mount. And so there's a, there's a, there's, you know, that's the rub. How's this going to work? So here's what's going to happen. And now you got to follow me close as I go through many verses to try to give you the understanding of what's going to happen. Point two is the Antichrist will be instrumental in rebuilding the Jewish temple. That's right. He's going to buddy up with those guys and he's going to make it look like he's their pal, he's their friend. So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 to 27. Now watch this. Seventy weeks. This is a prophetic statement of Daniel. It's the prophecy of the 70 weeks. They are weeks of years or 490 years. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern, here it comes, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, that decree was given on March 14th, 445 B.C. when Nehemiah asked to go back and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and the king of Babylon says, yes, go ahead and do that. You, we'll let you go. So, um, so he goes back to rebuild the wall. And I'm sorry, it's the Persians that allowed him to go back. So he goes back to rebuild the wall. The decree's given. So that's where everything begins in Daniel's 70th prophecy. Until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, and understand the way Jews write, which written 7 plus 62, and now he just refers to the 62 assuming already the seven, so 69 weeks, the Messiah, the Messiah, that's Jesus Christ who comes, will be cut off. Daniel is writing this 600 years before it happens. Daniel's book is an amazing prophetical book that people try to say he couldn't have written it because it's so specific as to the future of what he was writing about the kingdoms, about Alexander the Great, and when he dies, and the four generals, about the Antichrist, about Jesus being crucified. It's an amazing book. But he will be cut off, which means executed for a capital crime. 
and have nothing. Jesus will die, crucifixion. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, the Antichrist. And, it, and its end will come with a flood. Even to, uh, to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Watch. And he, here comes Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Wait a minute. 69 weeks of years, 483 years have already gone by. When Jesus Christ is, comes into Jerusalem, the clock stops. There's one week of years left that has not happened yet. That's the great seven-year tribulation. It hasn't happened yet. The clock stopped when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Exactly 173,880 days from March 14, 445 B.C. to the day he rode in on that, on that little colt. To the day, 483 years, a mathematician went back, calculated it, to the day. That's why when Jesus comes into Jerusalem Palm Sunday, he said, had you known this day, if you just counted, if you just saw the 483 years, you'd know this is the day I, was, I would be here. I'm coming. He gave it to them and they missed it. And they missed it. Now, back to Daniel 9.27. He says, I will make a firm covenant for the many for one week. The Antichrist makes a covenant for one week of the year, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice. Oh, at the three and a half year mark. And grain offering. And on the wing of abominations, Jesus spoke that before, we'll go back to a second, will come one who makes desolate, abomination desolation, even until complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. What an amazing prophecy. He's saying in the future that this man of sin will come. And in this last week of the seven-year prophecy, after he buddies up with the Jews, at the middle of it, helping them rebuild the temple, he covenants with the Jews, then the abomination of desolation. That's in the moment everything changes for the worse. Jesus also quotes and follows up, and he says this in Matthew 24, 15 to 20. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is Jesus speaking, he's quoting Daniel, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Something, someone is standing where they should not be standing, in the holy place. Jesus says, let the reader understand. Now watch. Then those who are in Judea, that's a Jewish thing, must flee to the mountains. Who's ever on the housetop, that's a Jewish thing because they had flat roofs, they sit there in the cool of the day, talk to each other, must not go down to get things out that are in their house. In other words, you just jump from roof to roof. It's called the road of the roofs. You could jump from roof to roof and get out of the city fast. Jesus says, don't even go down. It's going to be so bad when this abomination of desolation takes place. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. In other words, it's going to be a difficult run. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. That's another Jewish thing. When you see things like this, like the holy place, abomination of desolation, the, the roofs, Judea, the Sabbath, it's all Israel specific. He's warning him. He's saying, look, in the tribulation period, something bad going to happen. 
And when you put it all together at the three and a half year mark, Antichrist standing in that holy place, he's going to walk in there, and that's the abomination of desolation. The moment everything changes. Now watch what the Apostle Paul adds to this in 2 Samuel 2, 3 and 4. Let me just tell you right now, I love the Bible. The way it connects all together, it's incredible, the prophecies. It's how can this be a book written by men? It's written by men, but it's inspired by God. How do these things connect when they were written hundreds of years before? It's an amazing book. Now watch what Paul says about this. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. This, you know, falling away from God. And the man of lawlessness, that's one of the names for the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction, another name for the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, uh-oh, and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Jesus said, when you see someone standing there, that's the Antichrist. He says, that's the abomination of desolation. That's what Daniel spoke about. When you see him there, what's just happened? The Antichrist, once the temple is finished, and all the fanfare and the rededication of the temple is happening, and the nation of Israel is all excited, the Antichrist will walk in. He's been a good guy for three and a half years, but now he's no more Mr. Nice Guy. When he walks in, he'll walk straight into that holy place and that's an abomination for him to do that. And he will declare, I am God, now you worship me. And the Jews will know they've been had. And they will not worship him. They will not worship anyone but Yahweh God. They have proven that again and again and again. I showed you before where the Antichrist, a false prophet, they're seeking worship. False prophet gives it to the Antichrist. Antichrist moves it towards Satan himself during the tribulation. He's always wanted worship. But when the Jews refuse to worship him, it will send him into a frenzy. He will go insane. And he will begin to hunt people down because you're going to worship him or else, or else you die. That's it. Which leads to to point three, and this is an amazing thing, guys. Point three, the Jews will flee their country. What's so amazing about that? Watch. Let me say something. Our world is becoming like that statement. How many people are fleeing the country that they were born in, grew up in, because of civil unrest, civil war, terrorists in their own country, evil, evil people and violence. They're displaced people trying to get into other countries that have peace. Our world's becoming that way. We are moving closer and closer to the end. There are no more places to escape to. They will run. But watch this. In Revelation chapter 12, 13 
14, 15, and 16. Magnificent verses. Verse 13 says, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness, into the desert. The woman is Israel. She's leaving, she's running into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished, watch, for a time, times, and a half time, three and a half. That's the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. From the presence of the serpent or from the devil himself. So for three and a half years, they're going to run and they're going to be taken care of. Verse 15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. So the enemy is going to go after Israel. Watch this though. But the earth helped the woman. The earth helps the woman, Israel? Yeah. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean? Once the Antichrist walks into the temple and he declares, I am God, now you worship me, the Jews aren't having any of it. He's going to hunt them down. They're going to flee. They're going to run to get away. It says, the earth helps the woman. The earth helps the Israelites. The earth helps the Israelites? Yes, the earth will help the Israelites. <clears throat> the big question then is this. Questions. How does the earth help the Israelites and where can Israel run and hide and be safe? from the Antichrist for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period? Well, the answer's found, one of the answers is found in Daniel 11. Let's go back to old Daniel. He says this. He will also enter the beautiful land, that's Israel, and many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. This is where the Antichrist cannot get to you. God will protect it. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Okay. Antichrist chases, but Edom, Moab, and Ammon will be spared and will be saved from his armies. Question, where are these places today? Where are they? I'll tell you where they are. It's modern day Jordan, the country of Jordan. It's on the eastern side of Israel. It's on the border. If, we went, if you went with us to Israel this last time, when we crossed into Jordan, we traveled from Ammon through Moab, these are ancient, ancient names, through Edom, all the way south. The question is, and we went to Edom for a specific Where Where is Edom? What is in Edom? That's the question now. Where Israel is going to go to. Now watch this. Please put the slide up. 
Now, when we were there, and some of you might recognize yourself, that's called Petra. Some people call it Petra. Petra. It's a magnificent place built by the Nabataeans in 300 B.C. It's a rock fortress. It's an amazing place. Uh, one of the pictures you see there is a treasury. You've seen that in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. Everything's carved out of solid rock. We drove 150 miles south to get to this place. I wanted to, I wanted to get... I, I, I put the extension on that trip for the specific purpose of going there. I'd always wanted to go for decades. I wanted to see it. When you enter in and you saw those high walls... It's a three-quarter of a mile walk through that narrow passageway. The walls to get in are one to two football fields straight up. It's incredible. Therefore, because it's narrow, three-quarters of a mile and straight up, it's easily defendable. And it's in that place, because once you get into it, it opens up, and it's a massive, massive city where people can live. It's incredible what's been built there some 2,300 years ago. It is there, and I believe, like many people believe, many theologians, believe that's where Israel is going to go, and God will protect them in that place for three and a half years. Now, remember, I told you too, remember our key verse in verse 26 in Romans eleven twenty six 26 says, and all Israel will be saved. Remember I said, remember that? Now I will give you the definition. They will run there. They will be saved there. Watch. This is what's so great about the Bible, how it connects. Watch what Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. He says this. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. Two-thirds of a group of people will not make it. But the third will be left in it. One third will make it. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Now you get more definition of what all Israel will be saved means. All Israel constitutes what is left of Israel at that time. One third. One third will survive there of all Israel. Now, here's what's cool. It's in that place that these, these, the Jewish people that rejected Jesus, that never acknowledged him as Messiah, it's there that they will come to faith in Christ. It's there that they will come to know him. Now, how? I can speculate. There's 144,000 male Jewish evangelists walking the earth at that time. Maybe they pay a visit there. We know that Moses and Elijah, who we'll talk about, I think next week, they come back and maybe they pay a visit there. And they're sharing that Jesus, this rejected Messiah, is actually the Messiah. That might happen that way, or they just may come to the realization that Jesus is who he said he was. Or... There's another possibility. I think this is so cool. Revelation 1-7 says this. Behold, 
He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. You know what I like about that? In the second coming of Jesus Christ, which all of us followers of Christ who either died before the rapture or in the rapture, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. But we're going to come back with Jesus in the second coming. And when we come back, Revelation 19 says we're riding on white horses with him. But it says everybody, every eye will see him return. Can you imagine that happening on earth? But it specifically says even those who pierced him. Those who pierced him. That's the Israelites. They're going to see him. And maybe when they see the pierce marks on his body, that's going to be the catalyst to motivate them to say, he is the Messiah. Jesus was, the, he is, was and is the Messiah. But here's the thing, guys. Pierce marks? Jesus still has pierce marks? Yeah. See, when he rose from the dead, he rose into an incorruptible body, but he kept the marks. He kept those things for you and for me. For you and for me. And so that when he came back, he'd be recognizable. <clears throat> and people would believe he's always going the extra mile to get people to believe. You dads, you know what that's like. Moms too. You know what it's like to sacrifice, to go without, to not get what you want, to not drive a cool car anymore or wear cool clothes because you're sacrificing for the kids. Jesus sacrificed for humanity. He inserted himself into history for a specific purpose. He died, gruesome death, rose from the dead, and he stays in that resurrected body with the scars that are still on there to show us who he is. Guys, 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 guys. One day in the, after the resurrection, do you remember? On the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking. And he walks and he catches up with a couple of guys and he begins to talk with them. And he pretends to play um, like he doesn't know what's been going on. But then he starts sharing words with them about the Messiah, about himself, starting in the Old Testament, the book of Moses, all the way through, substantiating the Old Testament law. And they would say, were not our hearts burning within us when he spoke? And the word of God does burn. It gets in. You may witness to somebody, and you may think it's not getting in. It gets in. But they didn't know it was him until they invite him in to stay and eat because we're getting late. And then they're sitting there and Jesus takes over the meal. And he breaks the bread. And he serves the bread to them. And instantly they know it's him. Why would they now know it's him? 
Watch. He serves the bread. What is he now exposing? His sleeves. They pull up as he stretches his arms and they see the marks. It's him. It's him. And so when Jesus comes back in the second coming with all of us, it's going to be one wild ride. The Jews are going to look and say, it's him. It's him. And they're going to place their faith in Jesus. And that's what we hope for all of you today who are watching. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, maybe today's the day. People have been praying for you, hoping, hoping. Jesus has gone the extra mile to save you. Maybe you backslid. Maybe you walked away from God too. Maybe it's time to come back. I'm going to say a prayer, a simple prayer. And then I'm going to pray after that. But if you want to place your faith in Jesus or rededicate your life, I want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. And if you're with family or friends and you feel kind of funny saying it out loud in front of them, say it in your head. But after you finish, tell them after the service that you put your faith in Jesus. So I'm going to say it in blocks and you repeat this prayer. Here we go. Repeat now. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me, give your life. Forgive me my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you to be my Savior, my Lord, my God, my Messiah. I'm saved. I'm a follower of you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Now, I'm going to ask you where you're at just to close your eyes and bow your head and I'm going to pray for you. I pray that as you've said that prayer and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in that holy moment of, of time, there's been a major transaction where God has moved you from death to life. From one kingdom, the dark kingdom, darkness, Satan's kingdom, the God of this world, to the kingdom of his beloved son, God, the Father, Jesus Christ. You've transferred. You've changed teams. And now I pray that you walk in new life. I pray you learn about your Savior, Jesus. And begin to follow him because he is absolute truth. And he will help you sort through all the lies in the culture. And all the lies that you believed from growing up. We've all believed lies. And he will begin to set you free. He will put a great love in your heart for people, period. And I pray people around you, you will ask them, talk to them, and they'll help you to get a Bible and a simple translation and point you where to begin. And stay watching services. Stay growing in Jesus. But just know that you're not perfect, but you are loved by God and His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.